Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers 34? Pretty much just read through it, but we'll make some points that need to be made. This is a new generation, remember. The generation that came out of Egypt is dead. Except Moses will be about the last one to die, but he won't enter into the land of Canaan. He will, however, oversee the administration of everything that needs to be taken care of uh, before the Lord takes him away. This is another account of the, of the sovereignty and the sovereign guidance of God. <clears throat> Nothing is left to the imagination of his people. They have responsibilities. They have a place. It is as God said it would be. This new generation is accepting the challenge of, of faith and the, the challenge even of confrontation and uh, war. Several things that we need to remember in addition to the fact that the sovereign God is overseeing this whole thing. One particular thing is that we should be remembered, we should, it should be remembered that Yahweh is displacing and defeating and casting out the Canaanites because through his judgment and wrath, they have been deemed unfit to maintain their status as nations and to maintain their place in the land. They are utterly idolatrous and pagan and defiled. God then therefore will guide his people and give them strength to defeat the Canaanites and to go in and to take the land that God has promised to these people and has deeded to them hundreds of years earlier. It's fairly straightforward then. It's, there are two sections here. The first section deals with the boundaries that are appointed for the people uh, when they go into Canaan. And then secondly, the leadership of the tribes that God appoints. So let's just start looking at it as we read it uh, together. And then I'll make some comments at the end of this first section. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, command the sons of Israel, say to them, when you arrive in the land of Canaan, this is the land which shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan according to its borders. And so he then begins to define the borders. The southernmost corner uh, shall be from the desert of Zin along Edom, and the southern border shall be from the edge of the Sea of Salt, which is the Dead Sea, uh, to the east. The border then turns south of Me'ale, Akrabim, the elevation of Akrabim, Passing towards Zin and its ends shall be to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall extend to Hazadar and continue toward Asmon. The border then turns from Asmon to the stream of Egypt and its ends shall be to the sea. Now the western border. It shall be for you the great Mediterranean Sea and the border. This shall be your western border. 
This shall be your northern border from the great sea, Mediterranean Sea. Turn yourselves toward Mount Hor. And from Mount Hor, turn to the entrance of Hamat. And at the ends of the border shall be toward Zadad. The border shall then extend to Zifran. And its ends shall be Hazanan. This shall be your northern border. You shall then turn yourselves toward the eastern border from Hazanan to Shephim. And the border descends from Shephim toward Ribla, toward the east of Ain. Then the border descends and hits the eastern shore of Lake Kinneret. The border then continues down along the Jordan, and its ends is the Sea of Salt, which is the Dead Sea. This shall be your land according to its borders around. Moses commanded the sons of Israel, saying, This is the land which you are to apportion for inheritance through Lot. They'll cast lots for this. That Yahweh has commanded to give you the nine and a half tribes. For the tribe of Reuben's descendants, according to their father's house, and the tribe of Gad's descendants, according to their father's house, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance. They did not cross the Jordan River, as you will recall, but they will be in the fight, the battle, the war, until the land is taken and won. The two and a half tribes have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan, near Jericho, in the east, toward the sunrise. Now, when the Lord spoke to Abram, way back in Genesis, he summarily said, look as far in that direction as you can, and look as far in this direction as you can, and so forth. And he said, in a general sense, this will be the land that I'll give your descendants. Abram only had the promise of Yahweh that his descendants would be so numerous But in the hundreds of years that passed, of course, from that man and his family came these tribes and this nation, a mighty nation, energized by the spirit of Yahweh, guided by Yahweh, enjoying the presence of Yahweh. um, And as the chosen people will inherit the land that Yahweh had promised to Abba. But now it's definitive. The borders, there was no sense in and stating it like that to Abram because he, he couldn't have comprehended where, from where he was, his vantage point at that point in time. But now um, the, the borders are very clear and the extent of the land is, is, is very clear uh, and, the, and the borders are set by Yahweh himself. So here's a map of it. Um, if you want to look, and of course you'll see on that side uh, are the uh, are Reuben and Gad, and on this side of the other tribes going all the way up uh, to the north at Syria. And here are some things that we need to think about uh, as we as we reflect upon the fact that Yahweh has placed them in the land, has given them the borders. If they're going to inhabit the land, God never calls us to anything that's reckless or random. God doesn't operate that way. He takes them to a specific place with specific borders. If they're going to inhabit the land, and I've said to you many times that in the covenant that God has made, that Yahweh has made with Israel, it's not only a covenant with people, but it is also a covenant that involves people 
in their land, the land that God has promised to give them, thus the promised land. So God not being a random God has a very definite plan for where they'll be and how they'll be situated. And so if they're going to inhabit the land, they have to know what the land is they're going to inhabit. Therefore, God has established these borders for them. The second thing for them to note is this. It's not a carte blanche for these people. There are limits to what God is going to give them. The land outside those borders is not their land. Now, it's interesting. If you study, I mean, even to today, if you study the history of Israel, you will note they only went to war to defend themselves. They never went to war to extend their land, to add land to the land that God had given them. They never did do that. Now, they did defeat nations surrounding their, their nation, their land, and those, those nations became subservient. However, they allowed kings to maintain their positions and they had to pay money back to the kingdom to begin with of Israel and then northern kingdom and southern kingdom. They had to, they had to pay tribute uh, so that uh, Israel or Judah or both could uh, guarantee the security of those kings and their lands as well. And those lands were a buffer to other people who might otherwise have an intention to invade Israel, to defeat the people of God. So it, it was, it's, it's one thing to just be on the warpath, like, like, for example, like Assyria was when they came and took the northern kingdom and like Babylon was when they came and took the southern kingdom, they were gobbling up everything and making it part of their empire. This is not the design of God for Israel. And they never did those things. They did defeat nations close to them, maintained them as a buffer, but did not make them as part of the land of Israel. Do you know why? It's because Yahweh had established the borders. And interestingly, even in their most sinful state, they never arrogated themselves to a place where they thought they would extend the borders uh, that God had given them. Actually, the failure wasn't so much that as we saw in the book of Joshua as it was they didn't really go all the way and take everything that they should have taken. For whatever reason, they left some of it without taking it and that came back to haunt them in the generations that followed. So the land, they had to understand and they knew that the land outside those borders was not their land. This is the land that was the promised land and nothing else. Thirdly, that Yahweh had prepared the land is revealed to them. I will show you a land flowing with milk and honey. This wasn't like some rainforest where they had to go in and fight mosquitoes and all kind of critters to clear the land and, and do all of this backbreaking work so that they could then, uh, having cleared the trees and the rocks and so forth, could plant. Uh, it was already done for them. Uh, the water was already flowing in that land. Uh, the land indeed was a land flowing 
with milk and honey. So when they went into that land, it was revealed to them that the very land that God had promised them had been prepared for them. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to, for example, they didn't have to live in a, in a desert area. Uh, it, was a, it was a land, it was a plush land. It was undoubtedly the best land in the world where people could prosper, especially God's people. So that he gave them a land that had borders, showed them that God had prepared the land. So they go in and they had a difficult time traveling through the wilderness and all this. But when they cross the river and they get into the promised land, it's already prepared for them. This was proof to them that this is the land that God has prepared and they couldn't go beyond those boundaries. Fourthly, it was the place of rest after conquest. Now they had battles to fight. They had nations to defeat and they had people to displace out from the land. But they fully understood that God had given them this land and that the sin, the horrible sins of the people who were occupying that land at the time when they went in uh, were, so, were so severe and despicable that uh, God had judged them. And therefore, the land, of course, first of all, belonged to Israel, but now would certainly be given to Israel. These other people having forfeited their right to live there because they had made the land a land of paganism, a land of idolatry, a land of unspeakable behaviors uh, in the name of their gods, their fertility cult gods. So it would be a place so plush that it, it being the productive land that it was, flowing with milk and honey, such that the people could indeed find a place to rest. After all they'd been through in their history, this was to be their place of rest. And it was very obvious that people could rest there once they had driven out the other people. Finally, after all, they had never entered into a land that was theirs before. These people are a nation of, a mighty nation, a lot of people. By the hand of God, the the might of Egypt was broken and it was a mighty powerful kingdom that God broke in their behalf. It was a difficult journey. Then sin brought them down and added to the difficulties of their journeys. But after all that they had gone through, a new generation would now should realize that this wonderful land that God had, give, had given them and had, uh, had already set out the borders for them and uh, that God would provide with regard to casting of lots as to who would get what part of the land, that should bring them finally to a life of contentment and satisfaction, something that really they had not known as a national people up until now. So God has it all prepared for them. Now, the second part of the chapter is the part where God appoints the supervisors, the leaders of, uh, of the tribes, of the people. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, these are the names of the men who shall inherit the land on your behalf, 
Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall take one chieftain from each tribe to help you to acquire the land. And these are the names of the men for the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of uh, Jephunneh. For the tribe of the descendants of Simeon, Samuel the son of Amechud. For the tribe of Benjamin, Eladad the son of Kislon. The chieftain for the tribe of the descendants of Dan, Buki, the son of Jogli. For the descendants of Joseph, for the descendants of Joseph, the chieftain for the tribe of the descendants of Manasseh, Haniel, the son of Ephod. The chieftain for the tribe of the descendants of Ephraim, Kimuel, the son of Shiftan. The chieftain for the tribe of the descendants of Zebulun, Elizaphan, the son of Parnach. The chieftain for the tribe of the descendants of Issachar, Paltiel, the son of Azan. The chieftain of the, for the tribe of the descendants of Asher, Ahihud, the son of Shalomi. The chieftain of the tribe of the descendants of Naphtali, Perachel, the son of Amichud. These are the ones whom Yahweh commanded to apportion the inheritance to the sons of Israel in the land of Canaan. So now, the Lord has put everything in place for them. They won't have to argue over who's in charge. Yahweh said to Moses, Moses has been more than proven by Yahweh to be the leader of the people and the people will have to accept the word of God in behalf of who their leaders would be. So this would expedite the matter as they move in to the land, these, these leaders. Couple of things we would reflect on here. There was one leader for every tribe. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't going to be the kind of thing where, uh, where decisions could be open for uh, debate or whatever. Yahweh had a definite plan for the people of this land, for the place of the land, and the leaders were appointed by none other than Yahweh. Therefore, the administration of everything was firmly in place. You see, everything is taken care of. They are, they are, they are prosperous financially. Um, they've, they've, they've gathered quite a bit of treasure uh, in the time that they've been traveling from Egypt to the land of promise. He has given them a wonderful method, a methodology and a model for worship, has promised them to be with them uh, in his presence. They have, they have a priesthood and we're going to see, we won't see it tonight, but he also divides the cities up and he talks about the Levites and so forth. We'll see that next time and that's really part of what all of this is, but that's in the next chapter. So there's one leader for every tribe and the next thing that's pointed out to us is we need the Lord's definite leadership. You can go back into the previous generation and uh, the murmurings and the arguments they got into because they questioned the definite leadership of Moses and Aaron and it created problems. As a matter of fact, it created such problems that Hundreds and hundreds of them even died in their sinful state because of their rebellion and their murmuring against Yahweh and his direction through Moses and Aaron to the people. 
It, this new generation would have learned from those experiences of the sinful older generation that was dead. They would have learned that the only way this is going to work is to trust Yahweh and to follow his definite guidance and his appointed leadership and understand that he was doing what they needed. We, we can never question the word of God or the guidance of God in our lives because we have to believe in faith that whatever it is, regardless of what we may think about it, we have to accept that this is what we need at this moment in time. That's the guy we need. We need these 12 guys. God knows what he's doing. They, they're going to do a work. God has equipped them, has spiritually resourced them, and has placed in a special way his spirit in their hearts, and they can assume leadership, and we're to follow their leadership. So this is how God operates with his people. There's a definite purpose, there's a definite plan, and there is definite leadership, and it comes from Yahweh. In the New Testament, we learn that Christ is the head of his church. The great call for the church in the New Testament is to, of course, be obedient to the mandates that are given to us in the New Testament, and to have faith in Christ, and not to move ahead of Christ, but to wait on the Lord, to pray to him and understand that he has a, a genuine interest and love uh, for us and in us. And that he will guide us in the way that we should go. And that, that guidance, it may not come as quickly as we think it ought to come, but it always comes. And the people of God are called to have patience and faith, to have endurance and to entrusting the Lord know that he will, he will guide the ship of Zion exactly as he intends to. He is the captain of the vessel. This is what we're called to do. This generation here, uh, back in the time where they cross over into Canaan, had understood and had accepted these things, and they learned it the hard way. Uh, it cost a whole generation their lives because they refused to learn some of these lessons. But this new generation, they, at this point, they, they really have their act together. And if you remember when we went through the book of Joshua, they, they really had one success after another when they went to the battlefield. They did exactly what Yahweh told them to do. Yahweh commanded Joshua. Joshua led the people and uh, the victories came one right after another. And it is because the people trusted the Lord and the definite leadership that he was providing for them. We're going to pick it up there next time. So let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father God in heaven, thank you for how you look after us in every way. Oh God, teach us more and more in our lives to trust you in everything, even in the smallest ways, knowing that you will guide us and lead us according to your purpose and plan. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.